nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Have you had a hard time flexing your political power in healthcare lately? Yeah, it's been kind of a you-know-what. Anyway, you're going to want to listen to this episode where I interview Dr. John Silver and we talk about his declaration of nursing independence. That's right. If you're a nurse, you have badass power. This is an episode you won't want to miss. And welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Dr. John Silver. Hello, good afternoon or morning or evening, whatever it is. <laughs> I know time is just fluid these days. Who knows what's going on, right? Especially on the internet, right? True, true. So, John, tell me about yourself. We met on LinkedIn, and I've been very excited to have you on. I, I feel that you're such a fascinating person, and you're doing so much uh, for the nursing profession. Um, but it, it's like you're doing something that people are afraid to do. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself? Uh, well, like a lot of things, it's, it was an evolution. Uh, I didn't start off uh, figuring I was going to be a nurse. I certainly never saw anything about getting into politics once I was a nurse. I'd been 10 years in healthcare, six as a respiratory therapist before I went to nursing school. Um, but I did fall in love with nursing, and I, I kind of think of myself, my core, as being a nurse. Uh, I worked agency, uh, critical care, burn units, trauma units, three different states. Uh, never really paid attention to the political part of it, and I was a, considered myself a practitioner. Worked DR. Um, then uh, somewhere in the mid-90s, I decided, you know, I should probably go back and get my bachelor's degree anyway. So I went to school to get my bachelor's. And, and it was there I started talking to, you know, all kinds of other nurses that were coming back to get their degrees. And I'd been kind of isolated in critical care. And a lot of these nurses worked on the floors. And they, they were telling me the same horror stories that I'd heard 20 years earlier from nurses, and certainly all through the 80s. Uh, and I started wondering, yeah, you know, I wonder why that is. I wonder why nursing hasn't been able to do anything about this. Uh, you know, the staffing issues and the short shifts and every day is an emergency kind of thing. Um, so when I got done with my bachelor's, I kept going and I'm still working, you know, and it's this time now as an emergency uh, nurse. And I go for my master's and kind of had the luck of being able to design my own master's track. So I started looking at the politics and the school I was going to let me go up, um, do some work with George Mason University at their Health Policy Institute, uh, which was a great experience. And I did two internships in Washington uh, and one down here in Florida with a rep. Uh, it wasn't an internship. I actually advised him. Um, and I started thinking to myself, wow, you know, the problem is these people that I'm talking to have no idea what nurses do. They, they don't. They they know kind of what executive means, so they understand the you know the executive type nurse thing, 
Um, they have a pretty good grasp of, they think of nurse practitioners as kind of a low level physician, uh, but they really have no idea what, what we do as nurses on a daily basis. So I started thinking it's an image problem. Um, so I did my uh, master's project on proactive media utilization, thinking that, you know, if nurses could understand how to project the image of what we do in the public domain, we, you know, get a little bit more respect for what we do politically. Um, and that didn't stop me. And then I started thinking, all right, do I want to do an MP or do I want to get a PhD? And nobody in my family's ever had a PhD. So I said, well, I'm going to try to do a PhD. So I looked around and, you know, there's already a lot of brilliant nurse PhDs and health policy PhDs and all this. And nobody had been able to solve the issue of what's wrong with healthcare. Uh, so I thought I'd try a different tact and they'd opened up a, a PhD program at my school. It was, I thought, brilliant. Uh, it was called the Public Intellectual PhD in Comparative Studies. Uh, so I actually stepped out of healthcare so I could look back at it uh, from an interdisciplinary way um, and see if I could see something maybe um, other people weren't, you know, seeing. And uh, so while I'm doing this great PhD program, I'm also working in an emergency room full time. And I've got this background problem going on of what's wrong with healthcare and how do we fix it? Um, I was busy mentally anyway, <laughs> internally, uh, but I was kind of living in a cave, I guess, um, not getting out much. So I started looking at this problem. And the first thing, if you're going to, you know, kind of look at what healthcare system we need in this country, first thing you should do is come up with what are the goals of the healthcare system that you're trying to, you're trying to address. I mean, it never made sense to me that if you don't know where you're trying to go, how do you know how to go? Does that make sense to you? Right. I, I totally agree with that. And you have a unique way of looking at things. So you wrote a book. Mm -hmm. And you also said uh, your idea of restructuring the healthcare system is, is based on the public utilities model. How did you come up with that? Well, when I, once I got my goals, I, I identified seven goals that a, a healthcare system had to meet. Um, and then with a couple of caveats, because it's in the United States. So I started going around. I went to uh, Argentina and actually studied their system for a oh, week. Wow. Um, I gave a talk in Berlin uh, to a design conference, which was kind of weird, and uh, got to spend a bunch of days there looking at the German healthcare system. Um, then I gave another talk at the first STTI European conference in Cardiff, Wales, and had tons of European nurses coming in that I could talk to. And we had some great conversations about uh, health policy. So what I did was I came back and I, I put my goals on the table and I put every system design I could think of from Canadian, Australian, New Zealand, European, South American, and of course, whatever we call this that we have here, I put that on the table. <laughs> um, and I started eliminating them as they didn't meet all seven goals. And what I did was I cleared the table. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, I, there's no models that are going to do this. I said, well, let me start thinking of it kind of another way. Maybe a commodity approach isn't the kind of way to approach this. And I thought, well, there has to have been issues in American history where we've had something that, you know, we didn't want to call it a right, but it was really 
it's not a privilege either. It's become too vital for everybody. Um, and so I started looking at American history and I found the uh, electricity in the 20s. And it had a lot of the same similarities, uh, distribution of resources, costs, uh, multi-layered administrative structure, uh, chaotic pricing. It had a lot of the similarities. And uh, what FDR did was build on a model from England of what's called the natural monopoly. Hmm. Uh, he created this public utility service uh, because healthcare really is a service above all else. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely is. And when I put the public utility model on the, on the table, um, I had to make two little changes. Uh, I had to change how the administration was structured. Um, and then I had to change how the financing was done. But once you change those two things, which is why I call this a hybrid public utility model, uh, it fits. It fits great. And you can go down any one of the goal silos uh, right down to a street and see how this model works. So that's how I ended up with that model. That's very fascinating. So what does that model do uh, as opposed to what's going on now in healthcare, which is a hot mess? I mean, as we saw with COVID, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I have my own um, reservations about what happened and why. I mean, I've been in healthcare for about 25 years now or so, um, and I've worked in various different uh, areas all over the place. And I've worked at a lot of hospitals here in Southern California. And what I saw from my experiences and what one of the biggest problems is these CEOs at the top have no healthcare experience, absolutely none. And all they care about is the dollars and cents. And of course, healthcare is a business. And I learned that right away when I started as a nurse. And at that time I was like, well, I should have gone into Hollywood like my father said I should have because he had some open doors for me at that time. Uh, but I chose healthcare because I really wanted to make a difference. And I was really heartbroken, I'll have to say, when I found out it was a business and it was just really about the money and not so much about the people. Uh, I mean, there are, you know, I don't want to say this is of everyone, um, but uh, there are people who care and are there to make a difference and in, in, um, like yourself who see a problem and go out of the box to find a solution. Uh, but what I've been hearing too with this COVID crisis, a lot of these nurses went out to make money because these companies, these um, secondary um or, or uh, like these locum, locum tenum companies or registry companies were paying big, big money. And many of these nurses got paid to, just to sit in a hotel room and didn't even work in the hospital. So, I, I mean, I know um, from working strike nursing myself many years ago that these hospitals uh, and systems do have insurance to cover this, or the federal government does give them money in order to cover this. But how is your idea of the system um, using the uh, public utilities model differ in what's going on today? Well, I, you know, I, I don't have any direct experience of what nurses were doing. I know they were paying big bucks to have nurses come into hotspots and, you know, how much 
am I going to charge an hour to go in there and risk my life? I, I wouldn't be able to answer that. Right. That's but, a good you know, point. <laughs> and then taking, taking advantage of an existing system is, well, you know, whose fault is that? It's whoever set up the system, but at a bigger scale, the, the, what the public utility does is, well, let me express two caveats first for America. So the, the one thing you don't want to fall into is what I call the socialist trap. Because right. if, if they can reach out and call it socialism, they're gonna, and then you're going to get shish kebab to 30, 40% of the people just because of that word. So this system is not socialism. Uh, I also don't believe in single payer because I believe that old expression that, you know, whoever pays the fiddler calls the tune. And instead of having insurance companies saying, we're not going to cover this, we're just going to have what Medicare telling us, no, you can't cover this. So I, I'm not a big fan of single payer. The other thing you have to respect in the U.S. is the state and federal boundaries. So uh, this model sets it up in state-based regions. The regions are centered in the university medical centers because they need the direct tie-in with public health and also with the academic, you know, epidemiologists and public health and the universities. Um, and then these regional councils will kind of split up the state and they'll have to incorporate within their region, uh, urban, suburban, and rural areas so that they have a holistic focus on healthcare in their region. Um, and then that'll trickle down from them to the, what I call the, the full hospitals, which are the bigger hospitals that have all the diagnostic tools. And that'll filter down to the smaller hospitals that tend to be, um, you know, just have limited diagnostic capabilities. And then that falls down to the clinics and other resources on the ground. The other advantage of this model is um, I put it under nursing. So I have the senior administrator of the council as a registered nurse. Um, I did that for philosophical reasons. Um, by and large, um, one of the problems we have in healthcare are the three silos of philosophy in all of our facilities. This is the reason TQM wouldn't work. Uh, it's the reason lean won't work. It's the reason lean six sigma won't work. Because as you said, you've got this administrative structure that's focused on cost and price. Then you have this medical structure that's focused on, um, well, you know, prestige, whatever you want to call it, hubris, and their own self-interest. Um, and then you have nursing, which is sort of the butt of everybody's joke. So right. we have to put up with this militaristic stuff from medicine, and it's the administrative people that are paying our paychecks and also anointing our leadership um, within the system. Um, so as long as you have that kind of dysfunctional triadic type uh, uh, silo system in the administration, it's not gonna work. So I put it under practitioners and I put it under nursing in particular. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Uh, um, and especially, <clears throat> from that model where it came from. And that was such an interesting time in the 1920s because it's it was such a, an evolutionary time, which I think is going on right now. Like, I mean, there's a huge push for nursing innovation and nurses to get in to being innovators, which I love. 
you know, because I'm a creative person, I have like 50 million ideas, and I can look at something out of the box, much like yourself, and come up with the solution of how would I be able to do this better? You know, and I think all nurses need to be doing that. And it's such a great time right now to get into innovation and start your own business. Um, Wouldn't you agree? Um, Yeah, I think, in fact, one of the benefits of this model is it's just going to unleash nursing innovation. Yeah. Because it'll be nursing in charge of nursing, medicine in charge of medicine, PT in charge of PT. They'll all answer to these regional councils, uh, but they'll be able to, you know, explode their own innovations. Pharmacists, uh, forget about pharmacists, but uh, dentists, you know, dental health is part of physical health. Mental health is part of physical health. Uh, yeah, mental health, there's a big boom right now, of course. Why we've detached all these things is is ridiculous, I think. I agree. Let's go ahead and uh, talk about your uh, Declaration of Independence for Nursing and how you came up with that, because you, you put it together with several different people, correct? No, I'm sorry. It's all me. <laughs> It's all you, but there's people, other people's signatures on the bottom. Uh, yes. And that's my group, uh, Nurses Transforming Healthcare. Oh, okay. Um, .org. Um, we're just doing the media stuff now. I don't know what day your broadcast goes out, but uh, it's Nurses Week. So yeah, uh, we're revealing this. Uh, I actually wrote that declaration 20 years ago. Um, that's how it was, you know, I thought important then. And, um, I think it's critical now, especially after the COVID. So what I did was I modeled it on the U.S. Declaration of Independence, and I kind of switched words around um, to make it apropos to what our predicament is, because really, when you think about it, it it really is almost a taxation without representation. It's It's more of a presence without representation. Uh, we're there. Everybody loves us. You know, we're getting accolades all over the place this week. But when you sit down at the big decision tables, we ain't there. It's very true. And very what true. nurse is there is also important because we have these political fracture lines in nursing that nurses need to understand. I like that political fracture lines. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. Uh, when I did those uh, internships in Washington, for example, I'd go in and I'd advocate for something with a rep or a senator. And invariably, what they'd tell me is, you know, that's really interesting. Uh, two days ago, there was a group in here, AONE, uh, advocating the exact opposite. Hmm. And I started looking at this. And what I found out was that groups like AONE, American Organization of Nurse Executives, or the American Organization of Nursing Leadership, are actually affiliates of the American Hospital Association. That's interesting. Um, or if they're, they used to be uh, partners. I think they're just affiliated now. So if we have these, you know, people that call themselves leaders going in there to congressional people, basically advocating for the AHA positions, where does that leave us as nurses? You know, AHA is already one of the top five donors. Uh, those top five donors gave a hundred million dollars just in 2019. Wow. So right before COVID, right? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, over that year for healthcare, but that's not abnormal for them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so don't we just become redundant then? 
Right. I, I think so. I mean, what I've seen throughout the years is, and especially what the general public sees um, and, and how they treat us is if we're our role, our, we just belong at the bedside and that's it. I mean, we're there just to clean the patients and, and they don't even know what happens in the ICU. I mean, um, and, and how intensive it gets and how focused the nursing is and how critical the nursing is at the bedside in the, uh, at the ICU level, you know, that it's really about the patient and the nurse. The doctor just comes in and acts as a consultant and kind of like the captain of the ship, I guess. Uh, But it really is up to the nurse to see if the patient is decompensating, doing better, whatever, and to make the changes that need to be made. Um, However, nobody sees that, you know, everybody's always like the doctor, the doctor, the doctor. I mean, I'm on a um, website called help a reporter out Mm -hmm. com, where you can go on there. And um, if a reporter is looking for a specific person, you'll get emails and saying, hey, I I need this person uh, to give me a blurb about this or to talk about this. You know, uh, they want an expert opinion, but they're always asking for doctors. Always, 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 always. And they'll ask for the nurses for like, oh, it's a nurses week, you know, thing. And it's it's and it's very specific to what nurses do, but still, it's like nurses can consult on a lot of stuff, especially nowadays where nurses have their PhDs and their doctorate of nursing practice, but they're still not being utilized as they should. And they're still being, I feel, demeaned in the profession quite a bit. And um, even with the COVID crisis, I almost think it made the um, nursing image worse. You know, it it was almost um, character. uh, It was like a caricature, you know, with people doing their TikTok dances and and their Instagrams and stuff like that and not really promoting the nursing profession. Yeah, you can use humor, which I use on this show and storytelling, uh, but you there is a way to do it to convey that right message. So. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of it was just stress release. Uh, it was stress <laughs> relief. Yeah, I, I was a nurse. Yeah, but you didn't really see doctors doing that. I mean, some, but no. you don't see them. They always keep that, even though there are uh, doctors on Instagram and uh, YouTube, t- TikTok doing stuff. I feel that they still have an air of professionalism behind them, you know, even though they're using humor, humor and storytelling, but nurses, either they don't know how to do it, or maybe they're taking their own profession as a, you know, like not even serious. That's that image thing. It goes back a long way in medicine. Right. So it's interesting. Okay. So I just want to talk a little bit about nursing leadership and why it's so terrible. (laughs) Well, I, that's even assuming we have any. I, I don't. You know, the the primary job I think, if you're going to call somebody a leader, is to provide a mission and vision for what the people you're trying to lead. Right. And you know, I've been teaching off and on uh, graduate programs for 20 years, um, and I get these BSNs back into my class. And if it was a roles policy type class, I'd start off and I'd say, okay. What I want you to do is write down the name of a nurse in the United States that represents, you know, speaks for nursing. Can't do it. 
And I said, okay, um, write me down the vision of the American Nurses Association. Yeah, they don't. So write down the president's name of the American nurses. I can't do it. All right, in your own state where you're practicing, name me one nurse who you feel is kind of the leader of nursing in your state. No way. Right. You know, it finally turns out to be some clinical coordinator in a hospital you work at. <clears throat> That's about the only person they can perceive as a leader. And how can you call yourself a leader if nobody knows who you are? Right. You know, you can have titles, you can be managers, uh, but don't call yourself a leader. I don't, I don't know who you're the leader of. You know, a lieutenant is a leader of a squad, but he's not a leader of the army. Um, you look at our associations and, you know, and the American Nurses Association is maybe a four or 5% membership. That's it. Right. How do you speak for all nurses? Right. You've only got four or 5% membership and a huge chunk of them are academics and uh, nurse managers. Right. I, I totally agree with that. They, they just put together a group of nurse innovators and I looked at that and they were all stale. No nurse one created it. No, it, nurse innovators. Um, so, so ANA just put together a group of nurse innovators to promote nursing innovation, but the people that they put together were very uh, dry you know, so uh, no. It, it, there, so what I'm trying to point out is there needs to be a balance between creativity and professionalism. And I don't think people know how to do that. You know, I think it's either one or the other in, in the nursing profession. Um, and with this group that they put together for ANA of nurse innovators, they're all very dry and stale and stiff, nobody creative. You know, I almost wrote the president myself and said, hey, this is what I do. I'd like to come on and just, you know, color up some stuff because it's so bland and boring, you know, you're well, only going to come out. And how are you going to appeal to millennial and Gen Z? Exactly. Uh, running running some kind of PowerPoint from the 1960s. It's you, just, you know, it's not going to work. There you um, go. And I think, so this is what I'm thinking, because someone said this to me at this event that I'm working uh, this younger millennial, or, or she probably not even millennial, I think she's a Gen Zer, um, who put herself in charge of this event. And I, I had a problem with her and I just went up to her and I said, hey, let me give you some tips because she pissed a lot of people off and we got her demoted. Um, and she was like, I don't know why I got demoted. I go, well, I'll tell you why you got demoted. So <laughs> just because I just felt like doing it. And I'm like, you know what? This is my screenplay. I'm just going to go there. You know, maybe she'll learn a lesson. I've had my ass handed to me many times in 25 years. And I've learned from that, you know, that Not, and, and so I was trying to be nice to her. It didn't come off very well. So um, the thing of it is, uh, you know, uh, you, it, it's like, so she called me unprofessional, right? Because I kind of was characterizing what she was doing uh, and she goes you're so unprofessional I go well, what does professional mean everybody has their own um you know uh I can't even and like what word am I looking for I'm having total mind blank now must mean my lack of sleep but people have their own definition there you go that word <laughs> of what professional is because I go well would you would you call a comedian 
unprofessional because there's some really great professional comedians that go ahead and, and throw out an amazing message, you know? So you, you know, what do you think professional is? And her professional is getting up in front of a group of other professionals who are more skilled than her and demeaning them and telling them what to do, which probably happened somewhere in her career. Uh, you know, because she's very young. I think she's just out of school. So that's what she thinks professional is. And I, I, and I, and this is very, very common because nurses feel that they need to be a certain way. Like I see that all the time in the um, conferences I go to. It's so stiff and boring, you know? And I was like, who wants to come to this? I mean, if you're wanting to appeal to the younger generations, you have to meet them where they're at, you know, because everybody wants to be entertained these days. And, and role modeling is important. You know, I mean, my generation of nursing is just as bad as uh, the ones underneath me. And none of us really gave our political lives much consideration at all. Uh, and, you know, part of the reason is, you know, it was pretty expensive, um, you know, to do that ANA state thing. It cost you yeah. 280, 300 bucks. And you're thinking, what do I spend 300 bucks a year for? And, and what they do you get do out of it? Nothing. They don't do anything for you. No, that, that's a great safe thing. staffing initiative. Oh, yeah, keep that one. Um, so we were really getting, you're not getting any bang for your buck. Why am I spending that money? And then right. we just set that example as people come into practice going, you really you belong? Why would you do that? Don't waste your money. Right. And they don't. Yeah, I, I agree. They don't do anything. I mean, they'll send a couple emails out. This is what we're doing. I guess they go um, to Washington, D.C. I don't know. Do do they even deal with politics and pushing stuff forward? I know for the nurse practitioners here in California, uh, the nurse practitioner organizations did some stuff where they I know some people representatives that would go uh to the state capitol and um would push for nurse practitioners to have full practice authority year after year but there wasn't enough i felt at the time getting involved and then the politicians that they got involved like i think the guy was either i think he was a dentist at first that was really pushing for us to have full practice authority which we eventually got it you know um, but it's not like, okay, yes, you could practice on your own. You have to practice under a physician for three years. And then uh, in three years, you know, you'll be granted full practice authority. Um, but still, I, I felt more people needed to get involved with that. But a lot of people don't care. They like to have their, oh, I have a job with benefits and that's good for me. They don't care about like really starting your own practice, um, maybe doing something for the greater good, seeing that there are FQHCs being started by non, non-healthcare non people, you know, and, and but people don't even understand how the business side of it works. You know, I found out through just researching because I had been to work for a lot of FQHCs and I'm like, hey, if I really wanted to, I could start an FQHC, if, if yeah, whatever they're called. So. <laughs> But, you, know, you know, that was that was the reason I wrote the book. Um, oh, yeah. Talk about your book. As I was working on my uh, doctoral program doing the dissertation, uh, political effectiveness became the topic of my interest. How do you become politically effective in a democracy? And so I went into things like organizational studies and these other fields looking. And it turns out there are no models for how you become politically effective in democracy. Now, I'd read the uh, 
you know, the social transformation of medicine, which kind of detailed the history of medicine as it be, you know, crossed this journey. Uh, plus, there's some other great books out there about how they manipulated media, all this stuff. Oh, yeah. I wanted to look at, you know, nursing. So I set two criteria. I, it had to be a nursing organization that was gaining uh, membership, and it had to have accomplished of its own momentum legislation. Um, so those are the two criteria. And the only one I found were the California Nurses Association. So what I did was I took 20 questions out and interviewed 16 of the original members to get their answers to these questions. And then I tested it against a, a model of institutional effectiveness to see if that model of institutional effectiveness would work in terms of social effectiveness. And it turns out it did. Medicine went through all the steps. Nursing had to go through the steps. The difference was it didn't have to be in the sequ sequential order that the author of the model had said had to happen. So there is a way to kind of break into the circle and then you can work backwards and forwards. So I wrote that book, Just a Union of Nurses, to show nursing just how incredibly easy it would be to become politically effective in your state. Yeah. You know, I, I take my state, Florida. There's roughly uh, 2,400 nurses that vote in the Florida Nurses Association election. There's 200,000 nurses in Florida. And there's 17,000 just in my county. If 2,000 nurses could get together, they could take over their state association yeah. Yeah. and then tell the association what you're going to do, which should start in training a lot more membership in as that word gets out. And this is true in a lot of states. Uh, but nurses don't understand that. And it doesn't cost you a lot. You don't, you know, you can set your dues where you want to set your dues once you're a member. You know, you control the board and the presidency and stuff. Um, so it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg. You don't have to be out there with street signs on the corner every weekend. You just got to join and vote. I totally agree with you, but I think nurses feel that they're powerless and can't make any change. And um, I just want to say you are very powerful. You're even uh, as a general citizen is very powerful. I'll give you one example of what happened to me um, at the peak of COVID in October. There's a bike path in Burbank and I walk on it and I don't wear my mask because there's nobody around me. You know, and there are people riding on the bike path, walking, rollerblading, whatever they're doing. And there was a gentleman one day, I, I don't want to call him a gentleman. There was a guy one day riding on his bike and being very aggressive, okay, um, and telling people that they needed to wear their masks. And um, there was, there were these big, huge electronic signs on the street reminding people to wear their masks. And it was really creepy. It was very big brother. It, it didn't, I felt like I was in an alternate reality. I was like, what is going on here? You know? And so this man didn't only attack me, but he attacked another woman who was on a recliner bike and something told me, I know that woman had some type of spinal injury. And sure enough, I stopped her to talk to her and, um, and I had warned her about this man and she goes, oh yes, he already attacked me. Right. Oh. And so I ended up calling the police and they came out and they were very nice. They're like, you know, he's not supposed to be doing that. We cannot be policing people about their masks and forcing them to do that. You know, it's not a law. Right. So, um, I had pictures of this guy and what I did was I sent them to the police chief and the, um, 
the police commissioner as well. And I had told him that these uh, signs were making people very aggressive because when the signs were up, people are screaming at each other. It was really ridiculous. It's like, what, are, what is going on? You know, why is everything so aggressive all of a sudden? And so what happened was this was the magic. The signs got taken down. Nice. <laughs> you haven't been two, yelled at since, right? Huh? No, nobody gets attacked anymore. You know, nobody gets attacked. Everybody's happy. People are doing their own thing, you know, and it's great. And it, the energy shifted once those signs went away. You, well, know? you know, here's here's something really interesting. I This group that we formed uh, with um, uh, this top flight group of nurses. Uh, we are just singularly focused on what we're doing for nurses transforming healthcare. And what I've said publicly is if we could get 10% of the nurses to join us, we'd be the most powerful nursing organization in the world. 10%. You can't tell me that there aren't at least one out of 10 RNs out there that are, you know, either incredibly insulted by the way last year happened, uh, scared to death about this coming into the future again and being caught with our yeah. pants down again in healthcare, um, and are not ready to take control over their own practice domains so that we're sure this doesn't happen. The other thing is having this community-based uh, regional system, you build up trust with the communities you're in. And we've seen it both with the, you know, the um, social distancing and all that stuff. If there are guidelines coming out of Washington, that's one thing. If it's the healthcare system you know and trust in your own community, that's kind of different. Right. Um, the same thing with contact tracing. The same thing. Look at all the problems we had. Contact tracing. It never Rolling came out, out vaccines. You know, a, a, an integrated community-based healthcare system uh, would be able to manage those things. Exactly. Exactly. So I just want to touch up on one thing and get your opinion on just brands baking, backing up the nursing profession. Um, like we, we see that with Johnson and Johnson and with COVID, we saw that a lot with, and, and what I feel, because I worked for a pharmaceutical company that hired a bunch of nurses to, um, uh, just for branding, actually, and because um, they did a study and um, they're like, oh, yes, if nurses are educators and pushing this product, then more people will use it. Right. So they hired a bunch of nurse consultants. I did write an article um, a few years ago about 2016 uh, about the tobacco industry in the 1950s, finding out that tobacco caused cancer, cigarettes caused cancer. And what they did was they went ahead and hired a bunch of nurses and doctors to promote cigarettes as being uh, healthy. And um, that's where they uh, came up with their branding and marketing uh, schemes to really push cigarettes. So what do you think about that? I mean, I, I feel that, yeah, I get what they're trying to do, but I think it's only a self-motivated tactic. Like it's only to better their brands. I really don't feel that they even care about the nursing profession. Well, I, I think you hear the same parallel kind of concerns when it's Black Lives Matter or they're coming out for voting rights. You know, these big companies and corporations that donate 
tons of money to the political system, not just at the federal level, but the state level too. Um, you know, it's really easy to come out and use your, uh, your rhetoric to sit there and say how you support Black Lives Matter. Right. Or, you know, I'm with the registered nurses or, uh, you know, whatever other issues, gay rights. I, I don't care, whichever one you pick. They'll come out publicly and they'll say, you know, oh, no, you know, we're really behind this. Yeah. Go find out where their money's going. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and is it enough that that's, you know, you issue that statement? It's kind of like somebody, you know, liking something on Facebook. You know, eh, that'll teach them I like that. <laughs> you haven't taught anybody anything. That's not in a real world thing. Right. So I think we see a lot of these parallels of uh, companies and individuals, you know, they're all just blowhards into the internet, but they're not taking the action they could take it's very uh, true. to really start exerting pressure. So that I think was, that's my answer to that, I think. Yeah. Excellent point. I love that. Um, and very true. So anything else you'd like to add as we wrap up this episode? Um, no, I, you know, I just want to invite everybody. I mean, this is, this is much bigger than just staff nurses. This is uh, DNPs. This is nurse practitioners. We're talking respiratory therapists. We're talking uh, healthcare workers of, of every kind, public health people, uh, academics. Uh, we need a new healthcare system in this country. The, the model, and I hesitate to even call it that, that we're using, um, just does not meet our needs at all. Um, it's built for, you know, high cost acute care intervention. And 65% of what we're spending money on is chronic conditions. And yet we don't have the resources available to help people with the chronic conditions uh, until they get so bad that they need the high cost acute care <laughs> intervention, in which case that mysteriously shows up. So I would invite everybody that, you know, come join us. Um, like I said, we're, we're not out for money. We're out to fix healthcare. And if we get that critical threshold of support, we're going to go public. And we're going to go public with this model to the American people. Because ultimately, under our Constitution, uh, you know, remember this, healthcare was not uh, mentioned in the Constitution. Because at that time, it was basically bloodletting and leeches. So, it wasn't mentioned. And the 10th Amendment gives us the absolute authority as the people to dictate something and say, you know what, this social system is eating too much money, too many people are going bankrupt, too many people are getting rich out of this deal. It right. costs our federal government, our state government, our towns and cities and me too much money. We need a system that'll work, work fairly for everybody. And here's the bonus of this system. There's no more insurance. You don't need insurance anymore. Everybody pays. So it would be like, you know, out of Medicare, out of your paycheck, that type of payment. But you don't need health insurance anymore. You kid gets hurt, you take him to the hospital and you get taken care of. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's none more of this overhead for physicians and having to build administrators into their practices to file, you know, 1100 different types of insurance. All of that goes away. Right. So there's, again, there's so many advantages to this. These regional systems can cooperate with each other in buying um, equipment. 
there's a discount right there. Right. Um, if there's a disaster in the next county, you can move resources over. You don't have to fight that territorial game. Nobody's going to care if it's tenant or HCA or, you know, Catholic hospitals. And nobody's going to care about that anymore. It's all going to be one system. So anyway, I think that's my closing argument to try to get people to come support us. Um, we will do well with uh, any support we get. I love that. I mean, and in that, in these days, nurses can go into politics. I mean, I had on this show uh, the mayor of Yorba Linda, who um, is a nurse practitioner and owns her own business. Uh, I, uh, her name is uh, Beth Haney. Um, I also had uh, one of the reps in Portland. In Portland, whoa, Oregon really suffered quite a bit. Uh, and Rachel Persack came on and, and she's been fighting the good fight, you know, and, and really get politically involved so that we can make these changes too, uh, and, which I think is so important. But tell us, John, where people can find you, where people can buy your book. Mm. Well, I think Amazon kind of ran out. Um, after, after I released that book, I think I sold like 60 copies. In the meantime, I'm getting all these emails calling me a communist and a traitor to my profession. <laughs> you love like, it. <laughs> geez, you know, and then I'm hearing this, you dare to write about a union. And I'm like, is that a dirty word? Did I, was I not supposed to know that? And I probably should have because I was at the 98 ANA convention when the UAN walked into the hall. And I never saw so much pearl clutching in all my life. Uh, you'd have that. thought you'd have thought Castro's brigade had walked into the room. Uh, so I should have kind of anticipated that. But again, they're the only group that met the two selection criteria that I had for the for the topic. Um, so I still have I don't know 150 copies. If there was a demand for it, I, I guess I could get it reprinted somehow and back yeah. on. The, or else you could you could. Uh you know, self pub on, on yeah. electrically, you know, through Amazon. So that's another and we, option. We may actually do that through NTH, uh, nurses transforming healthcare. We may, we may actually do that at some point if, you know, we have, we have other things we need to get some taken care of. And so far it's basically the four or five of us front in the whole bill. Um, but I tell you, the declaration is good. If you read it all, um, I, I think if you can get through the, you know, some people say, Hey, you know, what kind of language are you using in this thing? And I said, well, don't yell at me, yell at Thomas Jefferson. He's the one that wrote most of the language in this. I just made it fit us. Yeah. But I love how you channeled him. You know, you're, yeah. you're like, uh, um, yeah, excellent. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and put all your links at the end of the show notes so uh, people can go ahead and contact you by your book, uh, contact you through your website and get involved. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on Dr. John Silver and have a wonderful day. And thank you nurses and hypochondriacs for listening. And there's going to be CEs available at the end of the show notes. So you could get 1.0 hours for listening. Thanks again. And until next time. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. 
We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses in Hypocon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com. 